Start again. <laughs> you will have to start again. No, no, no. We just let's just keep going. Huh. Um, <laughs> hello, everybody, and welcome to Football Unfocused, the loosely football-based podcast hosted by uh, two old school friends, now in their late thirties and still uh, kind of inspired by and influenced by the same crass humour and rubbish conversations that they've always had. Uh, my name is Mark. Allow me to introduce you to a man who's so inspired by the uh, footballing skills of David Howes, Clive Wilson and Dean Austin and the Tottenham team of the mid-1990s that he spent at least four years supporting Blackburn Rovers. Uh, <laughs> Matt, how's it going? Oh, fuck it. I... No, well, I'm feeling a real sense of trepidation at the moment because just before we start recording, <laughs> you said, I've got some fucking questions for you on today's yeah, episode. I do. I do have some and, that, yeah. and I feel this is just the, 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 yeah. the, the you know, the, you, you soften me up, you know, for the. <laughs> well, uh, I, but yeah, that, that was. On, that Carry is true. That, no, no, that is true. I did, um, you know, I, I, I was like the prodigal son. I like to think of that period in my life. And, uh, and, uh, and what and, was it? What you know. was it that attracted you to the 1995 League Champions Blackburn Rovers? <laughs> I just, I, you know, that was just such a um, clearly, you know, <clears throat> such a down to earth team. I, I thought, mm-hmm. you know, and uh, I thought the camaraderie, it was nothing to do with the fact that they were, you know, on course for winning the Premier League. Yeah. Can I ask you a question? Uh, this isn't one of my questions. Oh, is, is it going to be, is it gonna uh, be name, about that name, team? Name, no, three, name three players from the 1995 <laughs> Premier League champions, Blackburn Rovers. Oh, right. I could name two. No, oh, okay. Three. <clears throat> All right. Alan Shearer. Well done. All right. Tim Sherwood. Very good. Captain Chris. Nervous. Yeah, Chris Sutton. Hey, he's done it. You really were what? a diehard fan. I'll take it all back. I'll take it all back. <laughs> <laughs> oh, well done, yeah, yeah, thanks. And, yeah. you know, if, if, you want, if you want to know the positions, I might. I might. Yeah, you might struggle. <laughs> who was in goal? Do you remember who was in goal? <laughs> Uh, was it another Tim? Yeah, it was, yeah. Not, Tim, not Henry. Tim, Tim Flowers. Very good, yeah. I thought you were going to say nice, <laughs> nice but dim there for a second. Very good. Very good. Yeah, uh, yeah. Matt, I've been thinking to myself, because yeah. um, I just read a quote on, on this day. I know you don't like date uh, time stamping these uh, things, but I think it's uh, it, it's not going to really uh, su- make our podcast suffer too much to reveal that we are recording this on the day of the passing of the um, uh, His Royal Highness... Prince Philip, who yeah. uh, I just read a quote and it got me thinking. And this quote was from our, our great Prime Minister, uh, Sir Boris Johnson, who <laughs> said uh, that uh, Prince Philip, quote, inspired the lives of countless young people. And uh, and that's without doubt. I mean, because there's one thing that the all the youngsters that I've ever spoken to, people under the age of 25, they are inspired by um, by Prince Philip um, and, <laughs> and, and, and Boris Johnson. Um and uh, it, I, I just made me think, if this podcast needs anything, we need to appeal to the youngsters a little bit more, you know, the under 25 yeah. we need to really get into their heads and think, what do they want to listen to? What sort of content? We're looking for the sort of people who are into these edgy, these edgy comedy films, you know, like Police Academy 7, Mission to Moscow, <laughs> Nuns on the Run, Honey, I Blew Up the Kid. 
uh, and and the cutting edge, the, the sort of stuff that the cutting edge comedians, you know, we could bring an element <laughs> of that to our to our sports punditry. Uh, I use the term sports punditry loosely. So like the Chuckle Brothers, Hale and Pace, <laughs> Lee Hurst. You know, Lee Hurst, they think it's all over. You know, that, that, that's what the kids are listening to. These yeah. are these are what the under-25s now, they're like, right, you know, the, what are the Chuckle Brothers knocking out in terms of content? That's the kind of standard that they expect. So... <laughs> Matt, let this be an inspiration. Is, I was gonna, is this leading to a question? It is, is, it is leading to a question. <laughs> in order to appeal to the youngsters, I think you're the key to that because, you know, I'm uh, I'm six months older than you and that makes me over the hill. Um, so you're going to be the one to reach out to our younger uh, listeners. You've also, you're the man with the football credibility. So I've got some <laughs> questions to you about your diehard support of Tottenham Hotspur. We've already discussed uh, how just how, how into Tottenham uh, you are. Matt, when you're... Uh, up the lane, uh, as, as I know you are for, for every game. Uh, when, when you're up the lane with its uh, with its novelty beer pouring mechanism and giant golden cock, um, and you're watching, you're standing on the uh, the huge terrace behind one of the goals, and you are uh, uh, watching uh, Spurs build an unassailable lead against, uh, for example, uh, Dynamo Zagreb in the Europa League uh, first leg. <laughs> and you're desperate for a piss, but the action is so engrossing. But you're absolutely desperate for a piss. Do you? Which of the following uh, do you do? Do you a piss into an empty cup, sort of covertly, covering your covering your modesty uh, with a with a long coat, uh, and hope that no one <laughs> hope, hope hope that no one notices? We're assuming, by the way, when I ask these questions, that you are mid row. You are mid row, so you would have to disturb people uh, uh, to mm. get out of your. But I am also assuming. It, because you're going to be in the diehard section, that you're standing up. So you're no sitter. You're standing up. You're in the in the, in the message, right? So that might help answer this question. Uh, B, leave for the toilet. Risk missing some key action, but you will. You'll move people out of the way and you'll go to the toilet and you'll miss up to three minutes of key uh, Europa League action. Or C, proudly piss yourself and just style it out. <laughs> just run it out. Yeah, um... those three, Matt. Yeah, it, oh, that's a really that is really tricky because mm. um, I guess there's a couple of factors involved because uh, uh, oh, you, you, I've told you not to rub your hands together. Sorry, Matt. yeah, sorry. <laughs> I don't even know I'm doing it. I'm gonna sit on my hands. <laughs> yeah, yeah. The the stranger, I think they call that one. <laughs> Do you know mm. one? You know yeah. one. Oh, okay, um, you make you, you make your left hand go numb. Oh, I see you're referring to crudeness. <laughs> yeah, this, re- this is a uh, high yeah, I let, no, I You're not in the gutter. The kids, the kids don't like crudeness. The kids, the kids, I told you what the kids are after. No one's on the run. Honey, I blew up the kid yeah. at Police Academy Seven mission to Moscow. Not uh, your crudity, gutter comedy. Answer the question, Matt. You're schooling. <laughs> um. I, I would probably so I do have when I need to go, I really need to go. And yeah, yeah. I would probably so I was on the motorway recently. Uh, as you know, I, I don't drive anymore, but I did really need to go to the toilet. And so I do and I have done on various occasions while Joe is driving, I I do have to, you know, just go into a have a you know just relieve myself into a bottle while she's uh, and obviously she's not a big fan of that because 
Because I have to turn, I have to turn around and yeah, well, I have to kneel on the seat. So I'm looking out the back window because because if you try and do it sat down, it goes all over yourself when you you, um... to make eye contact with the driver behind, (laughs) urinating into a cup. Anyone? Anyone? (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Well, take a fucking picture, mate. It lasts longer. That's you know that's right. But. Uh, yeah, and also I guess I am conscious that you know because my I do have really poor eyesight. I would I wouldn't be able to just sort of deftly sort of slide past the you know the other sort of fans in, in my row. Mm-hmm. I'd probably end up sort of stacking it and taking a few of them out with me. And what thing. is your answer? So it would probably be a definitely I think. into a cup. And I mean, people want to learn more about you, Matt, but not that much. Uh, <laughs> I think each week I will ask you uh, a minimum of one uh, question so the listeners can just learn more about you, the man behind the mystery. Yeah, yeah. Well, I'm going to have to get anyway, some what, questions I think, for you. No, I no, think. no, I don't think you need to. I do enough uh, wittering on on this uh, podcast. <laughs> People don't need to know any, any more about me. There's no mystery in me. I'm just a guy banging on about football. But you're, you're the, you know, but you're the real expert here. You're the facilitator. You know, you 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 play I'm the pulling, role I'm of the man. The strings, um, you know. Exactly. Listening back to some previous episodes, people would be mistaken for thinking that you know fuck all. Um, <laughs> but, but, I mean, that that's not the case, is it? And we all know, you know, how devoted yeah. to the Spurs you are. Yeah. Uh, but, but in the previous episode, there is literally a line where you say. You describe my knowledge. Yeah, you describe what I say. Baseline bollocks. That's baseline yeah, bollocks. Baseline bollocks, yeah. <laughs> anyway, what are we talking about today, Matt? Right, we're talking about the impact of live football on oh, okay. on, on on football, obviously. <laughs> um, live coverage on football. I was sort of looking at whether live football would had an impact on, um, on match day attendances a little bit, and... I think the general consensus was that it that that there had been a negative impact on match day attendances, but um, in effect, the the revenue that was gained through TV coverage had kind of massively um, outweighed any loss. Um, I was looking at a study in Norway, and they were saying one of the biggest impacts that they'd found on match day attendances was the importation of football from overseas. So the top the top leagues around Europe had actually possibly impacted um, domestic match day attendances more than um, more than their own sort of yeah. uh, live coverage. Yeah, I think that's probably fair. It's, it's difficult to kind of give much insight into that because I guess you'd have to be, you know, if you're if you're if you're living in a country that is um, doesn't even necessarily have a, a professional league, you've got quite a small scale semi professional or even amateur league. Then clearly the revenue for all of those clubs is completely dependent upon people turning up and playing, paying a fiver or a tenner or whatever kroners is it in Norway um, uh, to to go in, um, and yeah, I think the kind of globalisation of football coverage and the fact that the Premier League now in particular is so powerful and so popular everywhere must have must have an impact because let's face it, purely from a quality perspective. You know, they're watching top level stuff, some of the best players from all over the world, some of the biggest clubs sort of doing battle in these uh sort of high quality matches, and then it's it's difficult to 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 um to kind of match that um with your local um with your local football club. But I think what that that kind of analysis 
doesn't take into account is the expectation why people go to football. I think I think it's probably quite a modern kind of um, assumption that there's this quest for perfection uh, that that assumes that people are going to go to be less inclined to go to football because the quality is poor compared to what they used to be watching on TV. People go to football. I mean, you got to ask yourself, why do people, my local club, my nearest club as the crow flies, well, I've got West Ham in one direction, Leighton Orient in the other. Leighton Orient, uh, I've got a ground that holds a capacity of about eight, eight or 9,000 and there's a, there's a steady four or 5,000 who turn up. You know, that fluctuates a little bit, but, uh, you know, they're a relatively well-supported club for their level of League Two. And they had a couple of years in the um, in the National League. Now, people who live in and around the area and, and attend matches at the stadium, most of them are within a short tube journey of every other London club. And five or six of them at any one time will be in the Premier League. But they're not going to that. They're going to see Leighton Orient. And a lot of the time they're seeing, by comparison, quite kind of basic, even sort of primitive, more direct football, less based on ability, more the kind of, you know, the old-fashioned virtues of, sort of physicality and you know, getting the ball bypassing the midfield. And that's, that's a generalisation. There are clubs, of course, all the way down who play football. And, the, you know, the great thing about um, the, the, this uh, country, where, as we discussed in the previous episode, we've got 92 professional clubs, is that there is amazing strength in depth. And you can still watch good quality football all the way down. Yes, it's not as good as, uh, you know, watching Man City against Chelsea, but it's, um, it's, it's, it's still, it's still pretty, pretty passable. But it's the social side of it. You know, people have been, who've been going for years, it's like, there's like family traditions. They go, they went with their mums and dads and, and nans and granddads, you know, and uncles, aunties and cousins. And, and you know, it's part of their routine. And they've always had a drink in the same pub beforehand and at half time and afterwards and they always get their pie from the same place and it's it's a massive massive part of their lives and I think also there's a there's an almost uh, sadistic enjoyment in the suffering of just watching shit and being constantly let down like knowing you're going there with love it's a bit like what I try and do with this podcast Matt lower expectations you know <laughs> make people put in performances constantly that makes people think they're going to get utter tripe but then occasionally just go, oh, oh, that's pretty decent. He's done one in for 30 yards. <laughs> and, and that's kind of what you get if you, if you kind of follow uh, lower league football. Now, if you, if you take it all the way up to the Premier League, I'm not actually sure. I think if you look at the statistics, I'm not sure that the proliferation of live coverage over this Premier League period, post-1992 Premier League period, much as I hate breaking down football in that way. But, you know, I guess it is, it is a fact and it is, uh, you know, over a nearly 30-year period now, it's a quite an interesting sort of comparable. I actually suspect that the um, the attendances would probably be up overall because the, the, the quality and the popularity of the product has improved. A lot of the stadiums have got bigger. New stadiums have been built with much bigger capacities. You know, a club like your, your, your beloved uh, Tottenham that you're so devoted to, you know, you used to go up the lane, the lane held less than 40,000, you know, lovely, charming, uh, traditional stadium but had its limitations in terms of size. And now they're playing in the whopping great, what's it called, White Hart Lane 2, the Tottenham Stadium, whatever, waiting for a sponsor, insert the blank here, we've, we've got a big golden cockerel. Um, and uh, that holds, what, 60, oh, more than 60,000? Haven't they, haven't they made sure that their capacity is some, something petty, like 1,000 more than Arsenal, just to piss them off or something? Like, <laughs> which is quite funny, to be fair. Um, so, uh, 
So you've got Ground Z, but Arsenal, you know, Arsenal, Highbury, charming, beautiful old stadium with its marble halls around, you know, uh, what were they, sort of George and terraced houses in a quite an affluent part of North London that they uh, that they illegitimately moved to way back in the 19th century when they were originally playing in South East London. Um, and, uh, yeah, and just, just sort of put their tanks on the Tottenham lawn and stayed there ever since. And... You know, that beautiful old ground and full of history and full of tradition, but held again less than 40,000. Now they've got 60,000 capacity. So there's two London clubs that would have been filling their, their modest size stadiums most weeks before. Now they're still filling them with pretty much double the capacity. Um, old Trafford is, is now, it's has always had a, you know, a big capacity, but it's got bigger in the Premier League. Era. And these grounds are full and you don't watch many Premier League games and see empty seats. But what you do have is a change in the demographic of your average match tennis supporter. I think, you know, you look at you look at um, coverage of football in the 70s and 80s, particularly the 80s, when it was very easy to get a ticket because, you know, there's the problems that we've discussed in previous episodes. Um, and there are a lot of young people. So people were going, like, groups of mates from school, college, whatever, you know, um, just know each other from locally, playing the same football team, whatever, and they, they could just rock up at the, at the ground, queue up, buy a ticket, and then guarantee that they're all sitting or standing together on the terraces. That is a massive loss for Monday football, because unless you go to a lower league ground, you, where you can still do that to an extent, depending on the club, um, you can't get that. You know, I can only really, I, I, I'm trying to limit the extent to which I refer uh, to uh, Liverpool, but I can obviously only I can only relate to that in terms of my own um, sort of long term experience. And if I want to take uh, mates to the football with me, so there's there's kind of three of us who have got like that that same level of membership where we buy our tickets, we're guaranteed tickets, and we buy them all together, um, and we're guaranteed a ticket for every game. But I can only ever get spare if one of those two aren't going and then I can offer it to somebody. And that's the only way in which I'd be able to go to the ground and take somebody with me. If ever I were to have children and those any of those children were to be interested in uh, coming to watch Liverpool with their, uh, with their dad, it's highly unlikely. You might be able to get a ticket for a, you know, a League Cup game or something like that. But, you know, again, that's quite a stretch. It's, it's not an impossible. And even if they did, You'd be like, well, how am I ever going to get? Say, I'm quite close to the front of the season ticket waiting list. I've been on, I've been on this Liverpool season ticket waiting list for it'll be 20 years in November that I've been on that waiting list. I'm near the front of the queue. I'm, I'm, I'm in the first sort of 1500. There's something like 50, 60,000 people in there. So I'm right, right down the front. 1500, relatively speaking, is is very close. And if I get a season ticket, I'll initially at least be, I'll, I'll have to, you know, take that wherever I'm offered it. But I'll never be able to buy the one next to me as well, you know, unless I meet someone who can't afford to go anymore or is kind of wanting to pack it in and I informally take it off their hands. So you can't do that. So those opportunities have have gone. So football's much more kind of organised now. And as a result, the crowds are, and and it's more expensive, so the crowds are older. um, And um, I I don't know really what impact that's had on... um, on the actual atmosphere and grounds, because I guess that's as much to do with uh, the changing from terracing seating and the kind of, but it is, it is a bit, it is much more comfortable and a much more kind of middle class and the types of people you get going to football now is completely different. 
But in terms of the impacts of broadcasting, I don't I don't think much of that really is down to that. I think that's really down to the sort of uber commercialization and the uh, introduction of um, all seat stadia. What I do think is that you could start to see um, kind of consequences over the next 20 years because you're going to have a generation now of people who haven't necessarily grown up with the tradition of going to football in the way that, you know, because if you're in your 30s or 40s now, you still grew up at a time when it was, as I've been describing, you know, where you could just turn up and, and go. Whereas uh, that's not the case if you grow up now. All you've ever known is the shiny, you know, sort of picture-perfect Premier League with its uh, fancy stadiums and its bright green pitches. And um, are you as it's, – it's set up as a TV product. Everything about it is geared for TV. And the, the biggest example of that, which I will always, you know, refer back to as a – as a as someone who gets most of my enjoyment from football of actually go into the the games the, the biggest example that they really don't need or give a shit ultimately about the likes of me anymore is, and our lack of importance in terms of the finances is the kickoff times and the way not just the kickoff times uh just by by definition but the way in which they're decided upon and the lack of notice that you get you know so if you it's, it'd be bad enough if you if you are sensible enough to support a team that are up the road where you are. You'd be a bit inconvenienced that your Saturday three o'clock game is all of a sudden at half past five or being switched to a Monday night. But if you support a club that requires a trek across the country, like I do, and yeah, you could say, oh, well, you know, tough luck, but you know, whatever. Because bear in mind that every every match has an away following as well. So you know, no matter who. Um, no matter what you say about sort of, you know the home fans, there will be people who have had to travel either across a city or across a country to get there. You know, even if it's just the away end. And you often find out now, as little as four weeks before a match, that the game that you were tro- you know, preparing to go to uh, Saturday at three o'clock is being played half past four on a Sunday, and you look at it and you can't get a train home that night, or uh, uh, there's going to be like road closures if you're driving make it impossible and you've got, you've got work the next morning and all of a sudden that becomes a much more difficult prospect to go. And that's just never taken into consideration. You only have to look at some of the – you think about the big journeys. You look at the Premier League, what are the biggest journeys you make? Like Newcastle going to Southampton or Bright. You see it all the time that those games will be Saturday lunchtime, meaning a Newcastle fan who wants to go and watch their team away or a Southampton fan who wants to go and watch their team away at Newcastle – um, are forced to sort of leave the house at four in the morning and before the public transport network has kicked off. So if you don't drive, what do you do? You know, do you get on a coach? Do you rely on a lift from someone else? No, they don't, they don't, they don't give a shit about that. All they care about is that they, you know, they got their, they got their, um, TV fixture, um, you know, in the bag and that they make the game as attractive as possible and that that TV audience is locked in. Now, this is not a new thing. This has been the case for a long time. You look at like since the since it got rebranded as the Premier League and since Sky got the contract, um, the the initial I think the initial deal was because the, the way that football for anyone who actually doesn't know, all football matches in this country are scheduled for three o'clock on a Saturday. That's the kickoff time of all matches. And then if you want to move those matches, if you want to televise those matches, you have to move it away from Saturday at three o'clock. Saturday at three o'clock is held as kind of sacred 
for the match attending fans only. You can't broadcast a game. Weirdly, you can if you go overseas. You go to Asia. Every one of the Saturday three o'clock games will be live on TV. But in the UK, you cannot show those games live on TV. So the broadcaster has to pay for the privilege to broadcast the game, and to do so, they have to move the kickoff time away. And, and you know, in the early days of the sort of Premier League rebrand, that would there'd be one game on a Sunday at four o'clock. It'd sometimes be a Monday um, night game, and that'd be it for the weekend. All the other matches for Saturday at three. Sometimes for like police reasons or something, they'd kick off a game Saturday lunchtime, but it weren't, you know, that they were the kickoff times. But as the Premier League um, era has, has sort of grown and the importance of the TV contracts and the size of the TV contracts has grown, the, the number of games on, on TV in an average Premier League weekend is probably roughly half, half the matches. So you've got, you know, you've got 10 games a weekend and half of them will be on TV at least. Sometimes Friday night, two on a Saturday, two or three on a Sunday and Monday night. So that means you've only, you know, the, it's sort of Saturday three o'clock, the supposedly sacred Saturday three o'clock are the four least desirable games that the broadcasters <laughs> couldn't be bothered to, to buy. Uh, and that means watching match of the day that night is pretty, pretty dull. Because bear in mind the match of the day as well, which, which people love, is kind of geared on the, geared for the assumption that you've not watched any of those games live. You've been, you've, you know, they're the games that you'd have only seen if you've been to them match so uh but it's a lot less fun if you know it's every week the four games on match of the day from the Saturday three o'clock kickoff are West Brom Burnley uh you know Fulham against Brighton (laughs) (laughs) Crystal Palace against uh I'm gonna insult someone else now uh (laughs) (laughs) you know what I mean and it's and it's but 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 why specifically this is of interest now is because clearly over the last year, uh, things have changed beyond all recognition. The pandemic has meant that the system that I've just described has been torn up. And to ensure that everybody can still see football um, throughout the pandemic, people who would normally be um, potentially going to games are able to see every single match at no additional charge. So the, and, and it is... To be fair to them, you know, Sky and BT and Amazon Prime and even the BBC have had uh, been given some uh, live games. They haven't, none of them, well, I know BBC obviously don't charge, but the subscription services there haven't charged any more. And, you know, sometimes you're getting twice the amount of, uh, of live football and any clashes has been removed. So to ensure that every game is on TV, like this weekend, I think you've got a, you've got a Friday night, Saturday lunchtime, Saturday three o'clock, which during this situation they've scrapped those rules. You can show Saturday three o'clock, Saturday half five, Saturday half past seven, and then two or three on a Sunday, and then Monday night. So you could, if you're, it's great for the football addict. And this is kind of at the crux of, of, of the discussion, really. Are people going to be willing and able to put that down again when things get back to normal? Because they're used now to be able to watch every single football match. The broadcasters are used to broadcasting every single football match. But the traditional TV broadcasting deals are on the basis of what I said before, that all the kickoff times are Saturday 3 o'clock. If you want to take one for TV, you have to change it. And these are the three or four, you know, kind of reserved slots for broadcast football. People have been used now to watching all these games and is it going to be, is, is this going to be a sea change? Because I think people like me 
who w- would like them to show more priority to the considerations of people who are actually going to the games and making it a desirable product that's worth billions of pounds to these TV companies. Because without, if the stadiums were suddenly empty, no one's going to want to buy that. It's not interesting. It's not exciting. It doesn't sound good coming for your speakers. So they do need, they can't completely alienate those people. But at the same time, they know that the real, the big bucks are, are from those TV contracts. So what's going to happen? And I don't really know the answer to that question. But all, what I do know is if there is a desire to keep things the way they are now, or if, they, if they're looking at the way things are now and they're seeing that as a viable model over the next few years, then that could have a really detrimental impact, a further detrimental impact for people like me, because it means that there, are never, there, there, there aren't any games that clash, which means that only one game kicks off Saturday at 3 o'clock. All the rest are kind of to fit the TV schedule, which means that you've probably got what a, a four or five in ten chance every weekend that your game is going to kick off or be at a time when you're going to have to think about staying over in a hotel or, you know, rushing for a last train or getting out of bed at five in the morning. Do you know what I mean? And 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 that's that's not good. I don't <laughs> want to. I don't fucking want to do that. And I don't. And I, you know. And I don't think. You're doing enough think, already. Yeah, well, that's it. That's it. And that's fine. And that's, you know, my choice. And it's, you know, I, I, I enjoy doing it. I'm happy to do it to fulfill uh, my obsession with going to football. But I think there has to be a stage, surely, or does there? I don't know, where enough's enough. Um, where you just think, are people still going to be bothered enough to go? if all of the kickoff times are at kind of unsociable hours that are geared exclusively at the TV audience. And what we also don't know is whether the pandemic over uh, the last uh, sort of 14, 15 months, has that um, left an, a sort of indelible mark on the, the, the sort of psychology and the appetite of people to go to football? You know, are people now going to be a bit more... We've already acknowledged that the... the Crowds in an average football ground are a bit older than they used to be. Therefore, by definition, you're going to have a lot more sort of, you know, vulnerable people. Are those people going to want to go back to football grounds? And then, you know, if they don't, the people who would take their place, the younger generation, can they afford 50, 60 quid to go and watch, uh, you know, Chelsea, West Brom? Do they want to pay that? Are they bothered enough? Or have they got so used to football as a television product that that's how they consume it, you know? Because they, they, they'll they say, that, you know, again... <laughs> I've tried reaching out to the young people today, Matt, through the <laughs> end, through the uh, highly entertaining opening to this uh, this podcast. I think you've gone above and beyond. On- Thanks, Matt. <laughs> I'm, re- I'm trying again. I'm trying to get my head in the in the mind of a of a, of a um, to think like a twenty a twenty three year old, you know. And a twenty three year old, do they need to be in a pub with their mates um, before and after a football match, you know? Uh, having a, you know, whether they're having a light-hearted chat, talking about the game, banter, I believe, as the kids call it. Um, <laughs> or or is their version of that to go on fucking Twitter and Instagram or, or as depressingly seems to be the case now, just go and uh, racially abuse whichever uh, footballers had a terrible game that week uh, on Twitter, uh, bringing shame upon them and society uh, as a whole, which is, you know, a horrible, disgusting... Depressingly, um, 
uh, sort of consistent trend now. But anyway, I guess we can talk about that another day. But it's awful, um, and it's just it's getting worse and worse and worse. But is that how now people interact? Is that social engagement now? Has that kind of need? Has that need to go to a football ground and do all the meeting up beforehand and after? Has that been replaced by? Can you get all that from social media? You know what I mean? Can you get that? That that can you get that fix from social media? And and I mean, if so, I'll, the game's the game's gone, and I'm out. <laughs> But yeah, I mean, obviously, I don't, you know, and it's and it, and it is it is clearly wrong and narrow-minded of me to cast everybody who prefers to uh, <laughs> enjoy their football in that way and to discuss it on social media as some sort of fucking reactionary, uh, like racist bully, because clearly that's not the case. But I guess what I am saying is that the, you know, there's so much um, this fucking umbrella term, this awful umbrella term of banter. Um, it, it is a it is a, it is an umbrella term for an awful lot of shit, but it is that's how people you know that's how issues are discussed these days. This is how people communicate and interact with each other. So and 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 by definition, that means that there's less focus on the you know the actual engagement part of life and the the interaction, the social interaction, the human contact of life, because everything's kind of digital. So. Does that mean that there will be less appetite for attending football matches in the future? I don't know. I like. I, I don't think it will ever die in me. But is it as important? You know. So the conclusion to this fascinating, <laughs> uh, fascinating debate um, really is: it's a kind of no, but it's a kind of wait and see. It's a there's a there's a there's a potential for a proper kind of a revolutionary sea change in the way in which football is broadcast over the next few years. And that has been kind of sped up by the events of the last year, the unfortunate events of the last year. What's going to happen? Is it going to sort of slip back and go back to normal? And bear in mind, even when we call it normal, there was all, it was already moving at a pace towards more and more control, you know, of the TV companies and their stranglehold over football. Which football, by the way, let's let's face it, can't live without it. You know, if that money was suddenly withdrawn, pretty much every club would go bankrupt. You know, you can only afford to pay Sergio Aguero three hundred grand a week if you're taking a big old slice of a three billion pound TV contract. So that's removed. Actually, that's probably a bad example because they Man City could still afford it because they're essentially being bankrupt, <laughs> bankrolled by a, na- a nation state, aren't they? But uh, but yeah. most other clubs, most other clubs couldn't. Yeah. Maybe in a year's time we'll revisit this episode and we'll just sort of conclude. Oh yeah, it just it went back to the same. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but but also weirdly, uh, whilst I, I very much hope that we are still here in a year, the idea of uh, still sitting here uh, and banging on about this shit uh, with you on a podcast on a weekly basis <laughs> does fill me full of a dread and self-loathing. Do you have an opinion on this matter, Matt? Because uh, just before we finish, because I know that you know you, you look like you're rich in there to to get your opinion across. On uh, you know, do you want to share? Share? You're desperate to wrap this up, aren't you? But, <laughs> I would like to hear one of your one of your points. Commit one of your points. To our, oh. uh, 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 eager beaver listeners, they're, they're dying to hear what your. Uh, oh, I have to get my notes back up again. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's <laughs> one thing I will not have said about you, Matt, and that is that you're not natural. Well, so well, it wasn't. It's not really an opinion as such. It was just more um, whether the 
Yeah, whether we'll reach a point of oversaturation and not just in terms of live football, but in terms of um, just all the documentaries about football and, and you, mm. the, the sense of, you know, you're pulling the, um, the, the, the slight facade away from the professional game and you see sort of Jose Mourinho in, in the Tottenham documentary and, uh, and Brendan Rogers in, in Liverpool documentary and all of those sort of things. Do you not think these things pull people in even more, make them, you know, if you've, if all of a sudden, I know you've Joe, said, yeah, you've, you've said you've that. Gone, to me. You've gone from seeing Jose Mourinho as the guy, you know, be it, uh, tormenting a referee <laughs> or bullying a club doctor uh, that resulted in a, a court case on the touchline, or I don't know, undermining his players in the public forum by humiliating them via the uh, post-match interview. If you've gone from just seeing that, to all of a sudden, you're the fly on the wall watching him um, belittle a player in a one-on-one thingy or, you know, say it goes even further within a year, maybe they'll be filming him taking a shit. You know, if you've watched, yeah, Jose, yeah. If you've watched Jose Mourinho taking a shit, is that, gonna, is that going to yeah. increase, you know, intensify your addiction to football? Well, it's certainly going to make me think, well, I could do that. I could do all those things. <laughs> you could have a shit. Could you bully a doctor? Could you bully yeah, a doctor? Well, and... You know, I haven't, but I'll be up for doing it if needs be. Give it a go. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Could you send yeah. subliminal uh, underhand messages to your squad about their supposed lack of ability through a, a kind of um, carefully worded post-match press conference? <laughs> Um, I'm going to say yes. You could, I think, you could, I believe in you. You could do it. Well, you know, only because I, yeah, I, I struggle to know where I'm going with most sentences that I say. So, in effect, they would probably become a quite incoherent, and and I would just label them as subliminal. Yeah, um, I think you're being falsely modest, and that certainly doesn't come across in this podcast, Matt. That you, uh, <laughs> Yeah, I mean that's news to me. It's news to me. Yeah, Yeah, yeah. and all those tens of tens of people listening. Yeah, at least at least four people are (laughs) aghast at the idea that you struggle to finish the sentences that you've started. Um, Yeah, yeah. they're they're like, no, Matt, come on, come on, you're selling yourself short. Believe in yourself, Matt. Get that head up. Yeah, no. Okay, well, you are going to wrap gonna, it up now. Yeah, well, yeah, I'm going to wrap it up. I'm going to, oh, it's role reversal. I'm going to say, right, yeah, that's a lovely way to end it. We've got a, another beautiful bit of insight into, into you there. And uh, and uh, even though that opinion at the end was, you know, no, let's face it, it was bullshit. Uh, it was... Uh, it's like bollocks. It's baseline bollocks. Yeah, it was more baseline bollocks. And, and, and on that baseline bollocks bombshell, for another week from both of us, it's goodbye. Thank you.